Hi, everyone. My name is Belinda, um, PGY3. I don't know how that happened. I just woke up one day and it happened. Um, but I am going to be doing the summer survival today on how to read a chest radiograph. So I know in medical school, you know, we have basic introductions to it, but now that you are the intern and you are the first one to get data and um, practically basically collecting everything and leading the team and also making decisions, this is gonna be a pretty important skill for you to have a good handle on. Um, I'm sure you guys have already noticed that you are working with chest radiographs almost every other day, if not every day. So just having a systematic approach is gonna be very helpful um, and is gonna make you stronger. So basically the objectives of this summer survival, it should be short and sweet and hopefully helpful. Um, we're gonna understand the utility of obtaining a chest radiograph, um, go over the basic components, um, and then we're also going to try and become pretty familiar with basic pathological findings that we're going to see on a regular basis. So it's good to know, like, what those generally tend to look like um, so you can diagnose faster and then treat faster as well. And then also maybe to understand um, when we use certain types of imaging. Um, most likely today we're going to focus more on, like, um, the chest x-ray, but we're also going to touch on CT scan as well. Um, just because that is something that you're going to see again, over and over again, and it's going to be important for you to be able to at least have a basic understanding and deciphering of it. All right. So, um, chest x-ray, it is the single most requested radiographic film, um, all the time. I'm sure you guys, when we first get into the, like patients first get into the ED, and your chart checking, there is usually always a chest x-ray, um, almost standard. So unless there is like very, there's a very strong like clinical correlation as to not get to get a chest x-ray, most people just get it for um, completeness sake. And even with other types of specialties, like if a patient comes in with a broken femur, they'll get a chest x-ray to like pre-op them for surgery type thing. So very, very widely used, and it's something that we should really know how to interpret. Um, and because of that, again, it's very important to have um, basic knowledge on how to interpret a chest x-ray and how to read it, um, and then how to go from there. And there are other reasons as to why um, it's going to be important for you to be strong reading chest x-rays. Um, one of the reasons is that a lot of the times you are going to be the first individual who's actually viewing a film. Um, if you go to rapids and you get a chest x-ray or you're in the ICU and a patient um, starts to desaturate or they become altered or, um, you know, they start to have any other different pathology, usually we get a chest x-ray um, to follow that up. And then sometimes, you know, the x-ray technician comes in, snaps the photo, and it's right there and right there for you to see. So, um, it's really important that you can look at a chest x-ray just roughly and then decide what you have to do, especially if it's something that requires immediate like intervention, like a pneumothorax, if this patient has mucus plugged, um, if their chest x-ray looks very, very severe, you wanna be able to decipher that so you can jump into action before a radiologist um, tells you to do so. Um, additionally, it's also good to have a few people lay eyes on a film. Um, 
another reason why you should really hone this skill because maybe your co-resident um, or co-intern, you know, got an x-ray, you guys don't quite know what's going on with this patient and you both take a look at it. They may see something that um, you missed and vice versa. So you may see something that they missed, which can drive your diagnosis. And then um, you as the primary physician, whether you're in the ICU or you're on the floors or even in the outpatient setting, you are the one who's putting all the pieces together. Our radiologists are great. Um, they do a lot of work and they do a lot of heavy lifting, but I don't know if you guys have noticed yet, but usually at the bottom of every single radiological read you will ever see, there's this beautiful sentence that says correlate clinically. Um, and so that's because they don't have the clinical picture you do. Um, and so you've been able to read it. You've been able to verify what they see, or if you see something different based on your physical exam and what you're seeing clinically is also going to be very important. Okay. So I put, um, these photos side by side, because I think it helps to just get general bearings of what you're looking at when you look at a chest X-ray. Um, ignore the arrows. I, I couldn't get rid of them, but this is what we would consider a normal chest X-ray. Um, and then you see the anatomy next to it where you have, um, the lungs, the heart, you have the diaphragm, um, basically the mediastinum and then, um, the airway trachea all the way up to, um, the chin. Having this anatomy in the back of your mind, whenever you approach any type of diagnostic or radiological find is going to really help you. Um, because you know what should look normal and what shouldn't. Okay. So first thing you have to do is figure out what you're looking at. It is harder than it sounds, but it's doable. I promise. So in order to understand. The differences in um, chest x-ray and what could be an abnormality, you have to understand how we even. How chest x-rays work and radiological um, images work. So basically what you're doing is you are taking x-ray beams and you're just passing it through um, the patient or the subject and um, like general physics, if there's something that's more dense, those like photons, is that what they called? I don't know. Those beams are going to bounce off and they're going to reflect. So the less dense something is, they're just going to pass right through. So this is how basically x-rays work and you can tell you know the darkest thing is going to have the least density which in our case is going to be air and so air is depicted as black on a chest x-ray and then the higher it goes up in density the wider it becomes so you have dark gray um, which is subcutaneous fat tissue which isn't very dense light gray is your soft tissue so your liver some muscles off-white is usually bone um, because that is pretty dense. And then when you have that pure reflective white, you're looking at some type of metal. So either a pacemaker, a defibrillator, you know, sternal wires, bullets, those um, will reflect um, bright, bright white. So you can differentiate them. Um, the way we are able to look at margins in the chest X-ray is from the difference in densities. So talking about our costophrenal angles, right? Um, you have that black part, which is your lung, right? And then you also have like the diaphragm and the liver. 
because one is light gray slash white and the other one is black, you can see that um, outline. And that shows you basically the difference in the structure. Now, when you start to lose that, that means you've lost that difference in density, if that makes sense. So let's say that you can't see that angle or you can't see that definition as well, and it all looks white. Then that pretty much depicts that where air was, something denser has come in, either fluid or most likely it's gonna be fluid um, or blood. And so you have that um, blunting of these angles and that kind of leads to you know, pneumonia, um, you know, uh, pleural edema, all this other stuff that, you know, we end up diagnosing. Okay, and I basically talked about that. So, like I was saying, you have like the cost different angles. When these start to look the same, you can pretty much conclude that there's a change in the density that this is no longer air and something else has taken its spot. Okay, so another thing that's really basic is also knowing what type of view you are in. Um, each view offers different um, perspectives, but they also distort things. Um, so usually the AP view is what we get inpatient. Um, the board is behind the patient. And um, because of that, a lot of the medial spinal structures are farther away from the board. So if you guys have ever, when you were really young, made like those hand puppets and um, you would get like the flashlight. I don't know if anyone did this. I did it all the time as a kid, but you would get the flashlight and the farther you um, went from the wall, the bigger the projections looked. Um, so that's basically the same, that is exactly the same concept here. And the closer you were to the wall, the smaller it was. So because the mediastinal um, structures are now farther from the board, um, they look bigger. So cardiac silhouettes will look bigger. And so it's one of the reasons why you cannot really diagnose like, you know, cardiomyopathy if you're in an AP view, just because that distorts it. And so the PA view is the opposite. So the board is now in front of the patient and you're shooting them from behind. Um, this is one of the type of views you would most likely use in the outpatient setting because a patient is gonna be able to stand and you can shoot it from behind. So acutely ill patients most likely will not undergo um, a PA view. And then the lateral view is very important because it allows you to see in three dimensions. Um, the posterior and anterior, it's all 2D. So you can't really see like depth. The lateral view gives you that 3D and you can see things, especially the, um, the costovertebral angles, sometimes there, is, there could be um, some type of effusion um, or edema that's building up that you don't see in the um, AP and PA view that's kind of hiding behind and you can see it in the lateral view. Okay, um, in general, you want a patient to take a deep breath when the film is being shot um, and this accentuates the different areas of the lungs. Um, you also want, there are going to be times where you actually want an exhalation film. Um, these include pneumothorax and then um, atelectasis and like air trapping because the exhalation actually um, exa um, exacerbates those conditions. You really see like the alveoli will like completely close when you exhale um, and so on. Okay, so when reading the chest x-ray, first thing is first, make sure it's the right patient and the right film. Um, I know with 
epic. It's pretty difficult, but sometimes you are opening up an x-ray and you're in the wrong patient and you're making these diagnostic um, choices on a completely wrong patient. And that could, I shouldn't I should have to tell you, will spell disaster or could spell disaster. So um, also, you also want to make sure you are looking at the newest film. Sometimes it takes a while to upload into the system. And so you want to make sure that you're not making choices on an old film thinking that it's a newer film. So very important, go through each time, um, patient's date, time, and the, and the identifiers. Okay, so back to the general reading of an x-ray. You want to go systematically. And the first thing you want to do is evaluate the quality of the film. And you can do this by, excuse me, the right um, mnemonic. So I'm sure most of you have heard about this. I'll quickly go through it. Um, so R is rotation. Um, you want the patient to be as straight as possible. Now, sometimes when they are super sick and they are altered mental status and they are slumped over, you're going to get what you get. But if you can get them as straight as possible, it gives the least amount of distortion um, of the structures that you're looking at. All right, and you want to check the medial part of the two clavicles, um, and you want to see if they're um, equidistant from the spine. That will help you see if their rotation is, if they're um, straight aligned. And then you also want the spinal processes to be as vertical or as close to vertical as possible. That will also indicate whether or not, um, you know, how off the rotation is, and that will also help you drive your diagnosis so that you don't overdiagnose um, something that might be an abnormality when it's really just due to the patient positioning. And then inspiration, we briefly talked about it. In general, you want a good inspiratory effort. Now, not everyone's going to be able to give this to you, but for the most part, you want to be able to count five to six anterior ribs and then nine posterior ribs. And you do want to be able to see the claustrophenic um, angles. And then P stands for um, basically just the projection and E is the exposure. So um, for E, you want to see vertebrae um, visible behind the heart. That's if, it, if you can't really see that, that means that it's overexposed and it could be um, over enhancing certain things as well. Okay, and then after we do that and we've gone through that, we've kind of looked at the general characteristics of that film, then we go systematically to um, interpret it. And so you guys have heard of the ABCD, right? Yes? I'm just going to assume yes, but if you haven't, now you will. So um, the first thing that you want to go through, A stands for airway, and I like to think of it as like the trachea. So you want to see if there's any abnormalities there. Is there any deviation? Is it going to the right? Is it going to the left? Um, it should be, again, straight down the middle following those spinal processes. Um, so that's one thing you want to look at. Where is the tip of the endotracheal tube? You're going to have a lot of patients that are intubated who were intubated in the ED, intubated in the ICU, intubated on the floors, everywhere, right? So this is going to be important for you to know because they're not going to be able to, um, well, they'll be able to use it, but they're going to want you to confirm that it's in the right place. So the endotracheal tip should be two to five centimeters from the carina. And then another thing to look at is, is there trauma? 
is there trauma to the airway? Um, this mainly won't account for us, but it can. Sometimes you, you do have um, some trauma that can happen, whether it's from um, placing an ET tube um, or if it's from something else that may have occurred. Um, you wanna make sure, have we looked at that and make sure that's not the case. And then another big one that I like to touch on is, is there air in a place that it shouldn't be? Um, and I consider this as um, air that really isn't visible in the trachea. Usually in a normal chest x-ray, you'll, you'll be able to see air in the trachea because the surrounding structures, we talked about it, um, are of a different density. So you'll see that black go through. And then as you get into the lung parenchyma, you really shouldn't be able to differentiate where air is because air should be everywhere, ideally. Now, if you don't see that and you start to see, you know, the bronchus and you start to see the uh, um, smaller like segments and structures of the lungs, then you might consider that, okay, the density in the lung is different from the density in the bronchus, which shouldn't happen because it's all supposed to be air. So why is that happening? And then you would think about things like atelectasis. Um, again, pneumonia can also cause that. Pulmonary um, edema can cause things like that as well. All right, so here is an example um, of basically a right lower lobe pneumonia um, and a like pleural effusion. And so what I want to bring your attention to right here, I don't know if you can really see it, um, but we're taking a look at the trachea and you can kind of see it's a little deviated and it's moving it, it's pushing it away. So a good way to think about um, these pathologies and a way to kind of determine what you might be dealing with is again looking at where like what's happening with the trachea things that are taking up space like increased fluid again like pleural effusion um really bad edema attention pneumothorax things that are taking up space are going to push away that airway and it kind of makes sense you know the more you move everything else around it has to move out with it so it's going to push it away and then things that are collapsing, such as really bad atelectasis. Also, you can have like a pneumo, not, not tension, but you just have a collapsed lung is shrinking in. And so that is going to pull everything towards it and it would pull the trachea and airway towards it. Okay. So here I was able to somewhat outline the trachea. Okay. All right, so this is another example and um, here you can see, again, the airway is still moving off to the right, but our abnormality is right here in the right upper, um, right upper lobe. So it's pulling towards. So at this point in time, I'm going to think, okay, it's pulling towards something is shrinking. It's collapsing. Are we dealing with atelectasis and everything like that? So here you have the example of it being pulled towards it. Okay. All right, and this is an example of air where it shouldn't be. Um, if you look at, let's just even look at this x-ray, you can see here in like the subcutaneous tissue, it's nice and light gray, um, no problems here. This one, you see air everywhere, okay. And so this is a pretty significant, um, 
um, case of subcutaneous um, emphysema. And patients like this, you know, you'll you'll have like those um, not the crackles, but you'll you'll have the crepitus that you can you can feel underneath. And so again, this is air where it should not be. Okay. Any questions so far? No. Okay, we'll continue. Um, so next thing B for breathing, um, what you want to do is you want to take, this is when you're really taking a look at the lung parenchyma at this point in time. Um, so chest x-ray, you want to divide it into zones. You want your, um, apical area, your upper lobe, your middle lobe, and your lower lobe. Okay. And then you want to watch for opacities like in the lung field. Again, that will point towards um, different pathologies. And then um, you want to look for the lung markings. And you want them to extend all the way out to the end of the field. If you do not see lung markings all the way through, you're going to start considering something possibly like a pneumothorax and a collapsed lung. Okay, usually you are not able to discern where the pleura is. It's very thin. Um, if you are able to see that lining and it becomes very thick, you start thinking about things like calcification or fibrosis um, and then plaques such as um, mesothelioma. Okay. So here we have an example of, um, we're looking at the lung parenchyma right? And we can kind of see there's this opacity that is forming right here, okay? And so that would most likely be either a developing pneumonia, most likely a developing pneumonia at this point in time. It's very prominent on the right lower lobe, so you would go through it that way. And then here, we have an example of what would be a pneumothorax. So on the um, left side, we have, we see our lung markings and it extends all the way out, all the way out to the very end into the ribs, right? And then over here, it is very, very dark, very black. You can see those ribs very clearly. So that is concerning for a pneumothorax, and this would be a tension pneumothorax. As you can see, the end of the lung markings right here. Okay, I don't know what just happened. All right, perfect. Okay, so for the other B, I also like to consider bones in that, um, just to make it easier. So you have the breathing and the bones. So you're looking at the ribs, you're looking at the spine, um, clavicle, looking for fractures, looking for any displacement, um, looking for spinal alignment. And you're also going to try and look for lytic lesions as well. You can see some of those on um, x-ray if you are, are diligent about it. So over here, um, we have an example of some broken ribs. You can kind of see how you can see that dis, um, disconnect right here. And I think this was like an 80 year old man who literally decided to get on a moped for the first time and it didn't go too well. 
but you can see the broken bones, which can also lead to, um, you know, like uh, hemothorax and everything like that. So it's good to pay attention to those as well. Okay. And then here in this lateral view, I wanted to point the attention to the spine. And you can see some wedging of these vertebrae, okay, which is concerning for a compression fracture. And this is just a closer look ish of it. Okay. And then RC is cardiac. Okay, first of all, any questions? Okay, good. So C stands for cardiac. So you wanna take a look at the size. Um, so you want the heart to be less than 50% of the entire um, thoracic window. Now remember, it depends on what view you're looking at. AP view exaggerates the size of the heart. So we need to make sure we can't, we can't make any real deductions if it's in that AP view, or we at least need to take it into consideration. Okay, and then you wanna look for and identify the specific structures. So, here we, on this side, we have the SVC and the ascending aorta. Over here, we have the aortic arch, okay? And then here we have the left ventricle. Right ventricle will be down here. You may not be able to see it because it's gonna be overlying the diaphragm. Um, and then you have the right atrium. So you wanna be able to see and identify those structures. If you can't, that also shows or lends itself to some type of pathology that could be happening in or around the mediastinum. And then D is for the diaphragm. So right side should be slightly elevated from the left. You also want those nice, nice rounded um, costovertebral angles. Um, and we talked about the changing of the blunting. I, I mean, I think we beat that to death, but again, pleural effusion, um, emphysema, if it's flat across, um, that also can indicate um, pathology that you need to be aware of. Okay, and E stands for everything else. So again, EKG leads, pacemakers, OG tubes, et cetera. Take a quick look at those, make sure you note them. Um, and then if there's any type of um, abnormalities concerning those, you can address that. Okay, so basic tips and tricks. Whenever you approach um, reading a radiograph, stick with it. So if you go through right, whether you go through A, B, C, D, whether you have a different methodology of reading a radiograph, make sure you do it that way each and every time. It's going to stop you from missing things, okay? And then something that when I was in the ED, one of the ED attendings said really quickly, when I was reading the chest radiograph, the way, you know, A, B, C, D and all of that, he's like, listen, there is this really huge, like collapse lung, just make a quick note of it and then go back systematically um, because you're just gonna be flying through everything to say that you have that like opacity or that collapse lung. Whereas if you make a quick note of it, we all know it's there, we address the elephant in the room and then we go back. As you go back, you might be able to catch other things that could be contributing to that pathology or other things that you could have missed, which could be confounding it. Okay, so now we're gonna practice. Do I have a brave soul to read a chest x-ray?
Anyone? I just asked if Petra volunteered. Ah, gosh. I really don't. I can't see everyone that's here, though. Are there more people? Trust me, you guys, just volunteer. You can't do anything wrong. This is a safe environment. We're all learning. Right, I'll just pick a random, uh, let's see. <laughs> Olivia, are you available to read this x-ray for us? Were you talking to me, Brian? I can't, I can barely hear you, sorry. Oh, I was seeing if Olivia Brooks is available to read this x-ray for us. Oh, okay. Okay, so let's see, John, are you <laughs> available, buddy? Give it a try. I was trying it. There we go. Already. So. It looks like a left lung consolidation. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So how would you read this the way we described? So going through the right mnemonic and also your ABCDs. Um. So it's anterior posterior picture mm -hmm. of the chest as a chest X-ray. Um, the airway, I don't know, on the right, it's the lung looks normal. The top part of the left lung seems also normal and there's like consolidation, as I said. Mm -hmm. The bones seem perfectly fine. The cardiac contour uh, seems fine as well. The diaphragm, there's uh, okay. Costal, costal vertebral angles are fine. Uh, I don't think I can see the gastric bubble and the hilum. There might be a lymphadenopathy on the right side of the lung. Mm hmm. Okay, good. But I cannot appreciate the hilum on the left. Okay. All right, so that was that was definitely a good attempt. So, you know, going through the right, like, okay, so we we identify that this is the patient that we want to look at. Sure, we'll just say that. Then R, you know, stands for rotation. So right now, this seems pretty um straight to me, right? The um processes look to be very well aligned. The clavicles are equidistant, so we know we have a pretty good rotation. Um projection. Um, we talked about it. Yes, this looks like an AP view. And then for exposure, you know, we can sort of kind of make out the um, vertebrae behind the mediastinum, but not well. So this might be slightly overexposed, um, which could be enhancing what we see um, and somewhat distorting what we see. So we'll make a note of that. And then ABCs, you're absolutely right. So airway, trachea, down the middle. Not really deep. Okay. And then we have, we can kind of see here, we're actually seeing 
more of our, um, again, like our bronchus and our bronchioles, they're actually quite prominent here. So that indicates that the lung in and of itself, as we can't really see it here, um, there is a change in density. So again, we're thinking some type of liquid, either um, a pneumonia. And why can I not change this? And so that's exactly what this is. This is a left middle um, slash lower lobe pneumonia. All right, I have another one is, do I have a brave soul? How much time do we have? We're good. Do I still go again or is it someone else now? No, I want to pick somebody else. You, you did okay. a great job. Okay, no, no, okay, thank you. <laughs> Anyone else willing to give this a go? Um. Can't tell, is that St. Francis volunteering somebody? Oh, yeah, sure, one of us can do it. We're gonna do it together. And yeah. no one identify names, so you don't know who it is. Okay, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Just, okay, we're, first with the airway, what's, what, where do, Let's start with A. So the airway is supposed to go up. Great. So the trachea is not midline. Excellent. Um, now B, what about the bones? They look okay. Great. What was the second B that you wanted us to do, Melinda? Breathing. Breathing? Yeah. yeah. Air? What is, what is the, what is the lung here? Of, what does it look like? Yeah, so there's a lot on the right. Looks like a pneumothorax. And the lung collapsed. Get it? Okay, great. And you have that um, the push of the the, the structure yeah, seal. Great, great. Um, what about the cardiac silhouette? Yeah. Looks pushed. Yeah, looks pushed. a little funky. Great. Doesn't look like our normal. You can see the aortic arch really well and the pulmonary arteries. Excellent. Um, what was the di diaphragm? What does the diaphragm look like? The gastric bubble. Yes, there's a big gastric bubble, and the what about the border of the claustrophobic Yeah, great. Those look clear. Um, and then everything else. I don't know. Is there any other structures? I don't see any. I'm going up close. Oh. So we can see some EKG leads, but that's basically okay. it. Okay, cool. So that St. Francis checking out. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That was perfect. Diagnosis is tension pneumothorax. You guys nailed it. Um, and again, one thing to look at too, is like when you look at the breathing, look at the lung markings. This on the uh, left side, the lung markings go all the way out. Here, not so much. Very black. You can see those ribs and you can see the collapsed lung. Are you guys able to see like my cursor as I'm pointing this out? I hope so. Anyway, okay. Next. We're kind of running low on time, so I'm just going to breeze through this one. Um, so here we see a lot of like opacities in this area, right? We're just going to make a quick note of that. 
you see a lot of opacities. Then I'm gonna go to airway. I can't really tell. I think it's midline. Actually, no, no, it's kind of deviated a little bit um, to the right side from what I am seeing. Okay. And then I look at breathing and bones. So breathing, again, we talked about this opacity here. Um, this lung structure seems like it might have some, um, you know, infiltrates and opacities on this side, unsure. And then when we look at bones, I want to draw your attention to the left side right here. These ribs are all sorts of messed up. Cardiac silhouette, um, I can see on the right side pretty well, sorry, but the left side, I really can't make out any of these structures. So there's um, definitely some type of processing that's going on in or around the mediastinum that could be contributing to this problem. And then D for the diaphragm, right side looks okay. Um, left side is, it doesn't look existent at all. So again, we've lost the different type of densities. So this is a multiple rib fractures with a um, hemothorax that also is developing here. This patient um, needs chest tube and needs surgical intervention immediately. Okay, and then this is, I think, our last example, just running through it. You know, we got the airway, breathing, blah, 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 blah. Let's just skip to diaphragm. Here, we see air where it's not supposed to be, right? Our diaphragm is supposed to be right on top of our liver. Um, and there shouldn't be any air here. We might see a gastric bubble that that could be normal, but this seems pretty excessive. And this right here is a um, pneumoperitonia. This is a medical surgical emergency and they need to be seen immediately by surgery. Okay, so I don't know how much time we have left. Uh, we have about 15 minutes. Okay, so I'm gonna quickly run through the CT scan. Okay. So x-ray versus CT scan. General rule of thumb, x-ray, you can tell when something is wrong. CT scan will help you figure out what exactly is going on, okay? It follows the same principles of the chest x-ray with the differences in density that give you your different um, hues and shades of black and white, okay? The heavier the density, the lighter the object. So the um, Hounsfeld's units, I don't know if you guys really know about it, but it's a good concept to just kind of have in the back of your mind, which helps you uh, differentiate and determine like what you're looking at on a CT scan. So it goes from negative 1,000 to 1,000 um, with zero being water, all right? And so this is usually like this almost blackish dark gray. The black of the black is air, which is negative 1,000, okay? And, um, you know, the lightest of the light is 1000, which is basically bone metal, like we had talked about previously. Something to note is that subcutaneous fat is actually less dense than water. So that is going to show up on a CT scan as darker than a type of water. And then soft tissue is obviously more dense, so that's going to show up um, brighter. Okay. And so you can tell by the different, like, contrasts what's going on. One of the reasons why it's really important to understand this concept is when we are, you know, we're asking for different like uh, modalities for the longest time. It's like, do you want a CT scan with contrast, without contrast, you know? Um, why do we do these things? Um, it helps with the Hounsfield units. 
When we add contrast to a patient's blood, we make it bright white, like bone, like metal. So any other type of density, let's say we have an emboli, which is going to be um, close to water, maybe a little bit denser, so it's going to be on the um, darker browner, uh, the blacker end, we're able to see within the vessels. This is how we differentiate whether or not we have a PE, okay? And something else that's really important is to take a look at the different lung view, the different views. So you have your lung view, um, which helps you really see the lung parenchyma. This is an um, example of that. And then, um, you know, you have your mediastinal view. All of these views are meant to enhance certain structures. And so you want to be able to see that. Okay. And so the different type of CT scans you can get also um, are going to drive what investigations you want to do and how they're going to work. So regular CT, plain CT, um, all of these and the high resolution, they both take images in slices, right? The difference is that the regular CT scan is going to average out um, the, I don't know if it's like image or basically the projection is gonna average out the projection between the different slices to build a picture, okay? The high resolution CT scan will not. It will just take that slice and that is all you're going to see. So the um, regular CT scan, it may not be distinct with the structures, but it will pick up everything. So if you're looking for like a lung nodule, there is a chance that as you're slicing through, if the, if the nodule is small enough, you can miss it in that slice. The regular CT is going to average out these images and actually have the no nodule appear, whereas in the high uh, CT resolution, you will just straight up skip that lung nodule and you won't see it. So um, regular, you want for lung nodules and you want to see like different like abnormalities. And then for the high resolution CT, this is to look at um, lung structure. So the fibrosis, bronchiectasis, like emphysema, it will show you those in those high resolution. And then um, going through the different planes, um, you have to take a look at what, you know, what plane you're looking at. Are you looking at the um, axial plane, the coronal plane, um, the um, sagittal plane? Looking at that, it's going to give you different perspectives, and it's also going to help you to determine some things. Okay. So, again, you will start... First, with the CT scan, you want to start off with the coronal view. I know a lot of people, we kind of just skip it. We go straight to the axial view, which is like, you know, them lying down. But you can start off with the coronal view because it, it's basically a more high-resolution chest X-ray. So you can really see really big pathologies and abnormalities um, on that. And then you want to do, again, a systematic approach. With the CT scan, um, there's a lot going on. So... What I have learned is to break it down in quadrants. Start with one quadrant, scroll up, scroll down, make sure you don't see anything abnormal, then move to another quadrant, then move to another and to another. Some people break it down into six. I know some radiologists break, radiologists break it down into six to make sure they're really not missing anything. And then you also want to do a systematic approach. And usually, you know, you want to start off up in like the thyroid area. Um, if you're able to get a CT scan that high, then the, the heart, the mediastinum, go through those structures, identify them. And then again, the bones and then the lungs and the airway last. And then, like I mentioned before, make sure you change um, to the proper view for each organ system.
All right. I don't know if we have enough time to do this, um, but we can go through one case. Let me see if this works. Okay. So I'm just going to quickly run through this case. Um, so there's this person, 80 year old male, he had intercostal retraction of the right side um, on physical examination, also had elevated inflammatory markers. So they got a chest x-ray. Um, let's say we go through our ABCs, blah, 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 blah. Um, then we see like we have some abnormalities here on this right side. And we also have um, what could be atelectasis or some type of um, um, interstitial, sorry, I'm like, so tired. Um, that's happening here on the right side as well. Um, left side, not so much. I mean, this could be the cardiac silhouette. I'm not entirely sure. This is not the best um, image. Okay. Scroll down. Really don't see much uh, difference. Uh, difference. This is what it kind of looks like on expiration. So we have inspiration and expiration. Okay. And then we have the CT scan. Okay. And as we scroll through, this is the coronal view. Here we have, here it looks pretty normal identifying the structures, nothing really crazy here. But then as you keep going, you kind of see this abnormality. There's like this break and what looks to be lung parenchyma going out of the, um, uh, intercostal muscles. Everyone see that? Okay. And then we move down here to the axial view and we do the same thing. So I would go in quadrants, scroll up, scroll down. Okay. This is what I see right here. So this case is the case of, um, basically a um, lung hernia that had occurred. How that happens, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's some type of surgical intervention that needs to take place, but um, that's how you wanna go through reading a CT scan um, systematically the same way you would do an X-ray, okay? So take home points. Um, so remember that all investigations, whether it's chest x-ray, CT scan, if there needs to be some type of context in terms of clinical findings, what are you aiming for? The physical, physical exam is still very, very important, even though we have these um, pretty advanced modalities. Because a chest x-ray will show you that there's infiltrate and that it's patchy and that there's opacities, but is it ammonia or is it CHF exacerbation? Or is it both? Sometimes you have them, so you have to correlate it together. Okay. Also, when ordering any type of imaging modality, I urge you guys to try and give the radiologist as much context as possible. Um, sometimes we'll get a chest x-ray and we'll just put in hypoxia. And, um, you know, when you're in a binding, a pinch, you just need to get that order in because this patient is crashing, fine, we'll deal with it. But, you know, if you have time to release, like, give them a context like you know patient is desaturating on 15% non-word breather um has productive cough as well 
that can help the radiologist differentiate something because they're also going to be thinking um, in the back of their mind, it's like, okay, this patient might have some type of pneumonia. Um, is it aspiration? Where do I see these changes? Where do I see any differences? Or maybe they're wrong and they don't see an pneumonia and they see like mucus plugging. That is also an emergency. And so you want to be able to um, help them because they might be able to give you a little bit more insight. Always, 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 always look at the imaging yourself. Um, it is very important. Our radiologists are great. They do a very hard job. They are looking at hundreds of images a day, different modalities, different areas, hundreds and hundreds, if not maybe thousands. So there is a chance that they might miss something. There's a chance that they might give you a reading for a different patient. Um, an example of this is that we had this um, patient come in. He was a drug overdose, um, had coded in the field, um, and came in with diffuse anoxic brain injury. Um, we got a CT scan of the head, which showed diffuse anoxic brain injury, but for some reason was read as normal parenchyma. So, um, and we we talked to the radiologist about it. It's like, hey, what happened? And they had accidentally just um, the read for another uh, CT scan had been put in his. So that is another reason why you want to take a look at the images yourself. I know sometimes in the morning it's hard, especially when you're trying to get all of your data in order to present, but try to take a glance at it. Do take a glance at it because you'll be able to catch that. We were able to catch it before our attending did. So that was, that looked good on our part. It would have looked really bad if we didn't. Okay. Again, the more eyes, the better. And then um, also, if you don't know exactly what you're looking at, and you have time with you and like your um, team, go to the radiology reading room. Um, sometimes you guys might see something that wasn't commented on and you think it's gonna make a difference and you need to be able to treat it if possible. Go to the radiologist room um, with your attending and you know walk through them together. Sometimes you we do catch things that they don't catch and that's gonna change our treatment. And then remember to stay systemic, uh, systematic and organized. Any questions? No? Okay. We have about five minutes left. Right, no questions? Yeah, okay. No, thank you so much, that was a... All right. Well, if there are no questions, um, you guys go enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to my talk. Did you have a question of St. Francis? Sorry, Belinda. Oh, it's okay. Please go ahead. Could you explain again what you were saying about the contrast, why you would put it in, how it works? Yeah, so the contrast, so you know when we're looking for, when we get our CTM modalities, right? Um, for the longest time, I would just put in like, okay, we need contrast to look for a PE. That's just what I was told. Now with the Hounset score, let me, the Hounset units, right? This is the concept that you're looking at. Contrast moves everything. Cause like what we're, what we're looking for, like in our um, pulmonary arteries is uh, for a PE, right? Now, generally it's still made out of blood products. So we're not going to be able to fully differentiate it um as a as a pe from the regular blood because um it, it's like the blood still has a lot of the clotting factors and everything that causes that pe does that make sense 
So it, it's going to have the same density roughly because it's still the same makeup, right? What you want to do is when you add contrast, you are then moving that Hounsfield's units up to this to like basically the, le the level of bone and metal. So here, this um, CT has contrast. And so now the blood has contrast that's flowing in it, which is making it bright. And then you can see there's like a difference, a difference right now. You can kind of see the difference between like the muscle, the heart muscle, and you can see the difference through the contrast. So it changes that difference. When you have a clot, because it's now this big um, blob, basically, contrast isn't going to be able to penetrate it and it's going to flow around it. And so the blood is going to flow around that clot if it's able to flow around the clot, depending on the size of the PE. And then you'll be able to see that difference because that's still going to remain, let's say, we're going to say that this Hounfields is going to be like, let's say 50, right? So our blood is around here. When we add contrast, it goes up to here, but the clot, which was still 50, is still around here. So we have that differentiation, which is why we're able to see those PEs. Does that make sense? We are uh, thumbs up here. Thanks. <laughs> okay. I hope that makes sense. I know it's kind of hard to describe, but I hope it made sense. Oh, you did. You did a great job. Okay. A round of applause for Belinda. You guys, you did such a great job, and she's such a rock star. She worked last night, and she. She's, uh, you know, doing this, and, and uh, we're really proud of you, Belinda. Great job. Thanks. All right, you guys. Have a good rest of your day.